This is one of a series of podcasts assembled from recordings made by United Nations Web TV in April 2016. It includes the opening remarks of a candidate for the position of United Nations Secretary General at an informal question and answer session with members of the UN General Assembly. This was followed by a media stakeout. This podcast was produced by me, Wyken Seagrave, Secretary of the Coventry Branch of the United Nations Association of the United Kingdom. You can download the podcasts of all the candidates or watch their videos and also vote for the candidate of your choice at our website unacov, that's U-N-A-C-O-V, dot U-K. This podcast features Vesna Pujic, First Deputy Prime Minister and Minister for Foreign and European Affairs of the Republic of Croatia, who is the Republic of Croatia's candidate for the position of United Nations Secretary General. We start with opening remarks to members of the General Assembly. I now invite Ms. Mesta Pujic uh, to present her vision statement and add some remarks to the written statement we have already received. Thank you. I thank you, Mr. President. Ladies and gentlemen, I must say um, you've done a great thing by opening this process to the public, by giving us all a chance to say a few words and to present ourselves. I think it is a bigger step than we are all aware at the moment. I think it has created a lot of interest for the organization, not only within the organization, but also outside of the organization. So thank you for that. Uh, I come from Croatia, a country in southeastern part of Europe. A very beautiful place, but a place and a country that in the last 25 years, meaning in my adult lifetime, has gone from a country at war to a country with a stable peace, from a country in international isolation to a country that has, through a 12 years relatively complex multilateral negotiations become a full member of the European Union, from a country that was the recipient of development aids and development assistance to a country that became the provider of, of development assistance. I'm saying that to emphasize the fact that we have gone through the type of experience that I think has made us humble and uh, freed us from any danger of arrogance in approaching and looking at other countries and places that might have problems of war, problems of conflict, uh, problems of development, problems of post-conflict rebuilding, 
We understand that nobody thinks that this is going to happen to him or to her until it happens. And that therefore this is also and should be viewed as something that potentially and so easily could happen to any country. And therefore it is a problem that we all need to address together, that we all have some experience in and where nobody is in the long run in a better position than others because it is amazing how easily a peaceful and supposedly stable country can become the theater of war. It also teaches us because during that period Croatia has been a country uh, where one of the biggest and maybe most controversial peacekeeping operation took place, UN peacekeeping operation Amprofor, took place, Croatia, Bosnia-Herzegovina at that time. We understood that it's not perfect. There are many problems that you encounter, including the problem of the mandate, including the problem of keeping peace in the midst of a horrible war. But you also understand that it's indispensable, that however it, imperfect it might be, it makes a great difference that it actually exists and that what we should do together is try to improve these mechanisms that we have, but certainly not dismantle them, certainly not compromise them, make them stronger and more effective in the future. We need to keep what we've got and build on it. Nobody, I think, has uh, applied for this job or thought of standing for the Secretary General of the United Nations because she wants to or he wants to um, make it his or her sort of driving passion the management of the organization. However, in order to address the original objectives and goals of the United Nations. Management of the organization is the key prerequisite. If the organization is not functioning, peace, development, humanitarian assistance, human rights, all the great educational and development projects that we care for and we want to work on, are going to be just a dream because the organization will not be working. So I will start with a few things that I think are important in the management of the organization. From my experience, and I've done many things in my, in my life, um, the sort of Occam's razor rule always worked. And this is that the simpler structures and the simpler solutions were more likely to work. So one thing that if elected, I would definitely try to do is make the decision-making processes and the reporting processes simpler, through that also more transparent, and through that also 
more accountable. The most important job of the Secretary General is to make the uh, organization work. And in preparing for this interview, I have read many different reports, analysis, proposals, and papers that were written. Most of them first class. Most of them really very good, and a lot of what's written in them needs to be applied. But if reform was easy, it probably would have already happened. So if elected Secretary General, my first order of business would be to try to make the organization work, to try to run the organization as it is and as we find it now, rather than try to run an organization as we wish it would be one day. It has to start functioning right away, and we have to make do in the first sort of instance with, with what we've got, and then gradually make it simpler, resolve problems, make it more effective as we go along. I think the Secretary General needs, the next Secretary General needs to be very much a hands-on manager, very much present in what the organization is doing. For me, it always works to have staff meetings where the organizational aspect is on the agenda. So this will definitely be something that I would do. Appoint and hire people that know more than you in specific areas, it always uh, helps. And use partnerships, use the uh, Ipsos system that has already been introduced and make it work better. Peace and security, the central mission of the United Nations. It, this area as the Secretary General works under the direction of the Security Council. The main emphasis that I see as also the main sort of comparative advantage of the United Nations is the negotiators. Special political missions, first-class nego negotiators, people like Lakhtar Brahimi or Staffan de Mistura, people who've sometimes managed with good support to do more than troops on the ground. If you have troops on the ground, very strong command structure. If you have troops on the ground, accountability. If you have troops on the ground, not from the countries where the military has committed atrocities in the last five years against their own people. Development, something that that works itself in, almost is inseparable from the building of sustainable peace. Development as the second stage, as a tool, as an instrument in building sustainable peace. The uh, sustainable development goals have, um, I think, give us a fantastic foundation to do that. Um, broadening the base of countries that provide development uh, assistance 
bringing in small donors, countries that are not necessarily rich and big, but can contribute, would develop a lateral, a horizontal partnership and cooperation and development that might change the face of development, cooperation and assistance. And finally, if I, two more sentences. Human rights, something that I've been involved in all my life, and I will just say that I see human rights as <clears throat> the canary in the mine. It is what alerts us to dangers, and trampling on human rights alerts us on dangers in any country. Thank you. Uh, we These opening remarks were followed by a question and answer session which lasted about two hours. You can find a link to a video from our website unacov.uk. Next, we have a recording of the media stakeout which followed. Thank you. Good afternoon. Thank you for waiting. I'm Dan Thomas. I'm the communications director and the spokesman for the president of the UN General Assembly. Uh, thank you for attending this media stakeout following today's informal dialogue of the General Assembly. Please allow me to introduce Dr. Vesna Pusic, Deputy Speaker of Parliament and a former First Deputy Prime Minister and Foreign Minister of Foreign and European Affairs of her country, Croatia, which has nominated her as a candidate for the position of the next Secretary General of the United Nations. Ma'am, the floor is yours. Thank you very much and uh, thank you for your interest. Uh, this is, how can I say, this is a first for me, but this is a first for the United Nations, and this is probably why uh, this event is so important. I'm not sure to what extent was every, everybody aware of the impact and importance that the opening of the selection process for the next Secretary General would have on uh, this organization and especially on the interest in general public that that has created. I'm very honored and very proud to be able to take part in this process, uh, especially since it really gives a chance to all the candidates to present themselves, to answer questions, not only from the member states, but also from the civil society. Uh, this has also created an interest uh, within the civil society, within academia, within uh, broader society, and I want to use this opportunity to congratulate the uh, General Assembly, the President of the General Assembly, and uh, the United Nations, everybody who has contributed to this new process. Thank you. So we'll take, uh, we'll take a few questions. Um, Thank you. Good to meet you. Um, Evelyn Leopold, Huffington Post contributor. Um, you mentioned the Internet. How else would you expand the communications at the United Nations? Uh, it falls short of a lot of things it does. How would you broadcast it? How would you expand it? And secondly, if I can ask, can you give your position on LGBT, on gays again? Uh, how would I uh, do it? Just following this example, 
when some of the processes and decision making within the United Nations became more transparent. It raised interest. It means that uh, I think the organization needs to go more both in individual member states and internationally it needs to go more out. It needs to communicate more with the media, with the journalists, uh, in order to enable people to see what's happening there. I have to say myself, while I was preparing for this interview, I read probably more than 30 different reports, suggestions, papers, proposals. There are fantastic things there, really smart, really interesting, that nobody knows about. So we need to, you know, this needs out. This somehow needs to be heard and communicated to uh, the general public, discussed uh, through the media, through journalists, through the internet, through um, civil society groups, town hall meetings. These are issues that, that really not only are important, but that there are some answers that are relevant which are not communicated. So, uh, in a way, I would say after having this much time studying, spending this much time studying, it's a better organization than it looks. It has way more potential and way more uh, institutional memory, uh, uh, intellectual property than it's credited uh, with. Uh, LG, on LGBT, are you asking me why I said it, why I didn't hide? Ah, what they asked me was whether I would consider these uh, the rights of the LGBT uh, community as something that I would champion and think important and defend as as human rights and. Uh, what you're usually uh, told is, don't go there. Do not discuss that because this is controversial. And I know it's controversial. But so were many different things. Women's rights were also very controversial. They probably still are uh, in some uh, uh, quarters very uh, controversial. Uh, I approach human rights with the understanding that uh, there are certain areas where uh, the state has no business meddling, that is simply the uh, space of the autonomy of the individual, and that should be respected. And certainly the LGBT uh, rights are that type of rights. Thanks a lot. I'm Matthew Lee, Inner City Press. Uh, all of the candidates have been talking about transparency, and, and I just wanted to ask you whether, you know, how much your, your government might devote to your campaign in the sense that the, 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 the minister of, of Montenegro you know, said that he will make that disclosure. Just in many places in campaigns, people say how much is spent and behind it. And I also wanted to ask you, amid all the reports about peacekeeping operations and restructuring, there's also been what's, what some people call a scandal, a number of indictments of a former president of the General Assembly, but also of a businessman that bought events in the, in the lobby and a document that was bought from the Secretariat. And I wanted to know, what are your thoughts on that? If, if you were to become Secretary General, what steps would you take to ensure that, that you know, as things that happen, that documents can't be amended by means of a bribe, that events that take place in the lobby are, are, are what they say they are, et cetera. Thank you. So far, my campaign 
has uh, cost very little. It was the price of the tickets to New York and the price of the hotel and food. This is how far my campaign went, so it won't be <laughs> a, lot of, uh, a lot of money. I will probably come here maybe a few more times, maybe once or twice uh, before they start deliberations, but this is sort of the extent. Um, how to prevent the corruption scandals that happened uh, in the past? One thing probably is to uh, have everything that comes in and everything that goes out clearly documented. So no uh, funds that are coming in outside of this prestige uh, fund, nothing that goes out without you know, clear decisions. And as I said, and as my experience from all the different things I've done in my life is, um, the simpler you make the procedure and the fewer exam exemptions you have, the easier it is to control and the smaller danger of stealing, which is sort of a, a maybe ruder name for corruption. There's a question here, and then we'll go over there. If you become secretary, yes, Stefano Vaccara is for Radio Radicale in Rome and La Voce di New York. Uh, if you become the next secretary general, can you tell us how you will make sure the international law is respected in the sense what it will be your position, what, what you will do in your position to make sure the international law, in this case, could you tell us your opinion? on the agreement between uh, the European Union and Turkey about the uh, migrants' wave that there are at the moment. What is your opinion about if the international law is respected? First of all, they say, I come from a small country, as you know, and they say that small countries have no other friend but the international law. So, uh, of necessity, let's say, out of uh, my own experience, uh, I certainly promote the uh, respect and international law as the sort of instrument of regulating uh, relations on uh, among countries and states. However, you know that there is a lot of opposition to that. So uh, one thing that uh, a Secretary General has at her disposal is tenacity. When at first you don't succeed, you try and try again. Curse anybody, you cannot throw anybody out, and it would be bad if you could. But you can stick to your principles and your convictions, and uh, by doing so, win maybe additional support, win additional countries to the side of the international law. Turkey, uh, European Union, and uh, refugees. Actually, from the 16th of September until the end of 2015, uh, a little over 658,000 people uh, came through my country, Croatia, which has 4.2 something million people. So it's a, never that many people were in the country at the same time. But they, within this, let's say, four or four months, they, or three and a half months, they passed through the country. None of them came directly from Syria or Iraq or Afghanistan, for that matter. They all came from Turkey. 
Some of them were in Turkey for a few months. Some of them were in Turkey for a few years. Uh, so they were refugees in Turkey. And let's say in, in the case of Afghanis, they're sometimes treated as refugees, sometimes treated as, as migrants. Uh, and there was a considerable difference between these two uh, groups of people. Um, very early on, Turkey has been alerting the international community and the European Union uh, about the problem and the difficulties it is facing. I remember in early 2012, they were already talking about the number of refugees and the need for help. And everybody was patting them on the shoulder, but nobody did much. And when the number exceeded two and a half million, these people started coming across the again into Europe. Turks very early on said that they uh, spend about 8 billion euros uh, on the refugee. They demanded help uh, that would amount to about 6 billion. They were offered 3.5 by the European Union. So it was, I think, a very unfortunate uh, process with these millions of people in the middle who already had a sort of refuge. Turkey is a safe country, so they had a refuge in uh, Turkey. But Turkey, like some other countries, like Jordan, like Lebanon, after a certain time, and we can say all kinds of things uh, about it, but the truth is that they needed help. And I think they deserved help in caring for uh, the refugees. And that they should get help from Europe and from around the world in caring for, for uh, refugees. Okay, let's take, uh, let's... Whether this is in accordance with international law, if they were refugees in Turkey, yes, they were not, they were not uh, endangered in the sense uh, that they were endangered in uh, Syria or in Iraq. Let's follow up. So you think that the European and the EU and Turkey agreement respect the international law? Yes, I think it respects international law, although I think it is a result of a sort of too long and unfortunate uh, process of, of negotiations between two sides. I think it could have and should have been addressed at least a year ago. Should we take one last question and we'll okay. wrap it up? So there's one last question over here. Okay, so you just uh, experienced for the first time, I suppose, the Israel problem at the UN, which is um, th the stress of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict over all other Middle Eastern conflicts and other world conflicts. And the Israeli ambassador obviously uh, uh, complained about it. Since your uh, campaign is going to take you beyond this room into uh, capitals, including Washington, how are you going to address the Israel problem, especially in Washington? Which is, again, that the UN has, tends to, especially in the uh, Human Rights Council and others, to, to stress um, uh, Israel over every other country. Well, the uh, 
resolution of the Palestinian-Israeli uh, conflict and the implementation of the two-state solution, if it was uh, possible and done before, if it was possible to do it earlier, uh, probably would change the entire uh, landscape of uh, the Middle East. And uh, I'm not sure how would all the other conflicts, uh, would they exist and what they would look like if this has been resolved, let's say, some time ago. It's not the only conflict, uh, but it is very important. And it's crucial because uh, the international community and the United Nations and the Quartet and the European Union and the United States all have proven pretty helpless in facing it. And some uh, uh, crises that uh, seemed as, as important or as big and deep and, and complicated in the meantime have been resolved and this one is, is still with us. So I would say that this is what makes it so important. How would I address it? I would address it as, as I said, being probably in a way the mother of all conflicts in the Middle East and through that being really uh, uh, you know, key to, to a number of different issues that have arisen in the area in the meantime. Uh, how would UN approach it? The only th answer I have to that, uh, uh, first class excellent negotiator, this is not enough but it's something that has proven more effective when, than any other things uh, in case, for instance, of, of Staffan de Mistura in uh, Syria. It has probably made more progress than a number of other things. Uh, but without political will, it's not going to happen.